Welcome to Sunday service. Very happy to have you here. Believe it or not, this is probably the coolest place on the property right now. (laughs) So, we welcome that too. I'll read the reading for this week from Rays of the One Light. This is a beautiful book showing the parallel between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita based on the teachings of Master. That was, he stated that as one of his primary missions to show the unity of all religions, especially by showing uh, the parallels between the original teachings in the Bible of Christ and the uh, teachings of Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. This week's uh, commentary is called The Redeeming Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The book of Isaiah in the Bible, chapter 9, tells us, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. What is this light? of which so many scriptures speak. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda, we read of an early experience the Master had with that light. I was blessed about the age of eight with a wonderful healing through the photograph of Lahiri Mahashaya. This experience gave intensification to my divine love. While at our family estate in Ikapur, Bengal, I was stricken with Asiatic cholera. My life was despaired of. The doctors could do nothing. At my bedside, Mother frantically motioned to me to look at Lahiri Mahashaya's picture on the wall above my head. Bow to him mentally. She knew that I was too feeble even to lift my hands in salutation. If you really show your devotion and inwardly kneel before him, your life will be spared. I gazed at his photograph and saw there a blinding light enveloping my body and the entire room. My nausea and other uncontrollable symptoms disappeared. I was well. At once I felt strong enough to bend over and touch mother's feet in appreciation of her immeasurable faith in her guru. Mother pressed her head repeatedly against the little picture. O omnipresent master, I thank thee that thy light hath hath healed my son. I realized that she too had witnessed the luminous blaze through which I had instantly recovered from a usually fatal disease. Where my light is, God once told a saint whom the divine light had healed, no no darkness can dwell. The divine light, pure, calm, liberating, is the only final cure for every kind of delusion, ill health, emotional grief, and spiritual ignorance. Seek it daily in the silence, in deep meditation. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the fifth chapter, 
for whom that darkness of the soul is chased by light, splendid and clear shines manifest the truth, as if a sun of wisdom sprang to shed its beams of light. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. Good morning, everyone, and I also, thank you, Darshana. I also want to welcome everyone to our Sunday service. It's so nice to have visitors from many different places with us today. So we'll start by reading, as we do for Sunday service, from Yogananda's wonderful book of prayer poems, Whispers from Eternity. This one is Demand for the Rising of the Aurora of Intuition. Infinite spirit, thy presence is hidden equally behind the warm rays of the sun and the cool light of the moon. Those lights, though welcome and wonderful, reveal only Mother Nature's splendor in matter. They reveal not thee. To me, they are therefore darkness. Thy all-revealing, majestic, and supreme light shines not on, but from within, the center of everything, therefore creating no shadows. Shadows in this world reduce light itself to non-light. In theory, I have known this. Now, Lord, take all darkness away from me. Wherever I sit with eyes shut, enclosed in my own darkness, Cause thou to blaze upon me in glory the aurora of intuition that suffused in its light I may gaze raptly on thee with worshiping eyes. Swamiji would tell us that Yogananda would from time to time take some of the disciples and devotees to the movie show with him. And he would, he, uh, one of his direct disciples, a woman named Peggy Dietz, who was his chauffeur and who visited here some years ago, told us that he liked rousing adventure movies and not, you know, what you would expect, just something very uh, outwardly, you know, meek and mild. And so whenever the the movie would get very exciting and the people were totally engaged in the drama of it. Master would often sit in the row behind them and he would just tap them on the shoulder and kind of break them out of the hypnotism and he would point up to the beam of light coming to the, from the projection booth and he said, it's all a play of light and shadows. And that's what he was trying to get us to understand, that this world is not as it seems the shadows, the light, the joy, the sorrow, it's all a reflection of this incredible light that is always present. And Master, in a talk, said it in a very beautiful way on this same theme. He said, This world is all a motion picture projection of God's mind. There is no death, no disease, no wickedness, Someday, when he will show you his light, 
transforming itself into this terrible cosmic motion picture of life and death, and then withdraw the picture so that only his light remains, you will laugh at the unreality of his light and shadow creation. You will know then that he has created everything out of his light and that only the light is real. We must fully shake ourselves out of this dream delusion to realize that we are rays of that immortal light. So how do we get there? In one of the wonderful chapters of Autobiography of a Yogi, The Law of Miracles, which I must admit, I read that chapter many, many times trying to understand it. I think I get a little bit of it, but it's still one of those ones that are challenging. But Master begins that chapter telling the story, recounting the story told by Leo Tolstoy, which is purportedly true, of the three hermits. And there were these three very saintly hermits who lived on a little island in the midst of a vast lake. And they had never had any proper formal training. So all they could pray was, Lord, we are three, thou art three. Have mercy on our souls. And yet many miracles and miraculous healings were reported to have taken place in their presence. And the local bishop heard about this and he said, well, this is all well and good, but we have to give them the proper prayers. And so he took a boat out to the island and the three pure, beautiful, saintly hermits came out and he instructed them in the proper prayer and the rituals and so forth. And they said, oh, thank you, our uh, uh, whatever the proper term is for a bishop, uh, my, your grace, let's try that, your grace. <laughs> Thank you, your grace, we will do your prayers. And then the bishop felt very pleased with himself because he helped these souls that weren't quite with it, and he began leaving, departing on his boat. And then he turned around, and there was this incredible light moving from the island across the water to his boat. And as it got closer and closer he realized that it was the three hermits enveloped in light moving across the water. And they said, your grace, your grace, please forgive us, but we've already forgotten the prayers you taught us. And he said, my children, don't worry about the prayers. You you just keep praying as you're doing. But in that high state of consciousness, there was they were only light. And so in this chapter, The Law of Miracles, Master begins talking about how the truths of the Vedas, the ancient scriptures of India, and the discoveries of modern Western science reflect each other. And they begin to each express in different ways, from different approaches, the fact that this universe is not what it seems. The world of the senses, even as in the reading, the light of the sun, the light of the moon, these are only reflections, only dim uh, representations of the real divine light that is the consciousness of God. And he uh, goes on to talk about the discoveries of Einstein. I found it fascinating in learning a little bit about the life of Einstein, that as a young man, he was obsessed with the concept of light. There he was working as a clerk in the patent office, but he would think about light and try, what is light? What is the nature of light? And that's what really prompted him 
to, into many of his scientific discoveries. And finally, as we, some of you have heard, in really an intuitive flash where the aura of intuition just showed him that light was the only constant in the universe. And it took him many years to prove it mathematically that t- the things we think of as measurers of our universe, things like time that seems to be a reality and space that seems to define our universe, these are only relative But the only thing that's constant is the speed of light. And that's the reality behind everything. But this concept, as vast and expansive as it is, does not appeal to our hearts. It doesn't touch our hearts. Because our hearts want to say, well, that's well and good. But what has that light to do with me? I'm very glad that time and space aren't real and you know makes it a lot easier when I'm late or when I don't have the right address but you know but really what has that got to do with my deep yearning in my heart for to know myself to know my my being as a part of God we need this light needs to have a personal reality and again in that beautiful story in autobiography of a yogi and I think it's, I believe it's the first chapter, when Master's a little boy and he's meditating. I love, I love the picture. You've probably all seen it of when Master was a little boy. Such a sweet little child, meditates, sitting in lotus posture with a little necklace of some sort around his neck. And yet that little boy was to go on, as Lahiri Mahashaya said in his infancy, your son to Master's mother, your son is a great spiritual engine who will bring many souls to God. And so little Makunda was meditating on his bed, and he asked the question, which I imagine most of us have asked in one way or another, what is behind the darkness of closed eyes? What, what reality is there that I can't see with my eyes? And immediately his mind was just expanded and absorbed in light. And he began having images like tiny motion pictures, he describes, of saints sitting in caves meditating and hermits in remote Himalayan peaks just absorbed in God. And he said, who are you? And they said, we are the Himalayan yogis. And he said, I want to come and join you, which we know it was one of the motivating forces of his whole life, always thwarted, because he had to come over here and take care of all of us. He couldn't go up to the Himalayas yet. In his next life, he said he would go there. But he said, I want to be one with you. I want to join you. And immediately the vision changed, and the Himalayan yogis were gone, and there was only pure light, pure light. They had all dissolved into that. And he said again, who are you? And the voice, though impersonal without form, spoke to him and said, I am Ishwara, I am light. And Master said, I want to be one with you. And in that moment, he became enveloped in the light, and he said it permanently changed his consciousness. So... We need to remember that that light, we read of it, we read of the divine light, but 
as it's said in the passage from Whispers, that light doesn't shine on us, it shines from within us, from within the center of everything in creation. And that's why there is no shadow, because it's not shining from outside, it's shining from inside. And that's why the saints and the great masters are only light, because all the shadows have been dissolved. All that we perceive in them is that light shining out from without, from within, outward. I remember some years ago, I, I had only been at Ananda for a few years and was getting started on the spiritual path. And at that time, at the medita- I was living at the meditation retreat in a little trailer. And um, at that time, we had a practice that every Thursday would be a day of silence and fasting. It was wonderful. It was fun. And we didn't go to work. We just, everyone took the day off and had an inward day. And I, was, I had been meditating in my little trailer. Um, and then it was sort of mid-afternoon, and we didn't have running water. So I had my two water jugs, and I was taking them up to the water tower to fill them and bring them back. Just as I got there, there was Swamiji, who had come up to the meditation retreat with a few other people, two other people, one of which was Jotish, actually, and someone else. And um, there was going to be a meeting with some of the adjacent landowners for the meditation retreat called the Bald Mountain Association. And because I had been in a very inward state that day, I looked at Swamiji, and he had this very pretty, pale blue, soft cardigan sweater on. It was a fall day. And I looked at him, and all I could see was light coming out. It's like there was a ball of white light where his heart was, and just radiating out this beautiful aura of light. And so foolish and naive was I that I said, Swamiji, what a beautiful sweater. (laughs) And and he just started laughing. And then, then he withdrew that light. It was just a moment. It was a little darshan that he was giving me. But it, but it was just showing me that's who we all are. And Master would say it too. He would say, if you only knew how beautiful you all, all are, I see you all as beings of light. And that light, it's, again, as I said, it's personal. It's from within us, but it's greater than us. And it's calling us. It's calling us home. And that light can heal us. There's the beautiful story that was referred to in the Ray's reading uh, that Master recounts of a man that was diagnosed with very advanced diabetes. And he was given three months to live. And he said, well, if I, he thought to himself, if I only have three months, let me use this to go as deep into my experience of God as I can. And so he started meditating. First, he could only sit for 15 minutes a day because his body was so, in so much pain. But then he kept trying. And he would extend it a little bit every day, every day. And then finally, three months went by, and he was still in his body. And then he kept extending it, and then another three months. And finally, he was meditating hours every day. And finally, most of the day he was meditating, and months went by. And then finally, years went by. And one day, as he sat meditating, he 
was enveloped in this wonderful light of God. And after that experience was done, he looked at his body and he realized he was well. All the disease was gone. And he said, he prayed, Lord, I didn't ask you to heal me. I just asked you to come. And he heard in the light the voice of God saying, where my light is, no darkness can dwell. And so this is for all of us to remember this kind of healing. And then he went down to the beach and he wrote on the sand, God came into this broken temple. And the water came, the waves came and washed it away. Because it was just, he was in the light then. And so for all of us, as we sit to meditate, as we concentrate on the light, all of the shadows within us, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, God's transforming touch. We don't have to work at it so hard. This is the grace of the divine light that transforms us. That Where the light is, as Master said, darkness could have been in a room for thousands of years, but if you just flick on a switch, the light is immediately there. I remember at some point a few years ago, I got very intrigued with Egyptology, and I was reading all about the discovery of King Tut's tomb. And you know, these tombs, were they're fascinating books if you like such things. But Howard Carter, a great, one of the first great Egyptologists of the 20th century, you know, these tombs had been sealed for thousands of years. Finally, they got to them, and they broke through, and Carter was the first one who looked in, and he showed his shined his flashlight, and it was filled with, you know, golden ornaments and amazing things. And one of his assistants, because only Carter was looking in, one of his assistants said, "What do you see? What do you see?" And he said, "Wondrous things." <laughs> but that's what the light is when we say wondrous things, and so that light can heal us. And that light can also guide us. There's a wonderful book called Let There Be Light, a true story of a Frenchman who, as a young boy, was in an accident and he was blinded. And he went into great despair because he had been a happy young youth and enjoyed playing with his friends. And he, he went into a deep, deep depression when he lost, totally lost all sight. But then little by little, he began realizing as he would walk, try to walk down the street with a cane, or there was, he knew where to go and he knew what to avoid. And he realized that he was perceiving, not with his senses, but he was perceiving a guiding light that was helping him. And if he would meet people by the quality of that light, he knew if he could trust them or not. And he went on, then he lived at the time of the Second World War, and he was one of the leaders of the French underground. And the, uh, after Nazi Germany came and occupied France, and they were always trying to, they knew there was an underground movement, and so they were always sending spies. They kind of knew he was involved, and they thought, well, he's a blind person, you know, he, we can easily fool him. But he would, whenever, and because people would want to join the underground, but then there were also spies trying to ferret out if, if it existed. But whoever would come to him by the quality of the light, he could tell 
if they were a spy or if they were sincerely wanting to help. And he led the French, French underground for many years. It's quite a remarkable story. So we can draw guidance, too. We, when we have a problem in our life, hold it up to the light. Look at the quality of light that you perceive there. Is it unclear? Is it hazy? Is it without uh, much power to it? Or, or is it bright and pure and calm and clarifying? And that the light can guide us. It wants to guide us. But then finally, the title of this little uh, story from the reading from Ray's, The Redeeming Light. But what does it mean to redeem something? It means to trade something of lesser value in for something of greater value. And so we trade in, we offer into the light our shadow, our fear, our regrets, our mistakes, anything that reflects our identification with our body and personality. And we offer that into the light, and it's redeemed. We are redeemed. And we come back and we see ourselves as images of light every day. Every day it's a new opportunity. And that's so important for us all to remember. Don't identify. Master said the greatest sin is to call yourself a sinner. And so the greatest mistake we can be is to, because of feelings of inadequacy, to turn our back to the light. What happens when we turn our back to the light, to the sun, to the moon? All we see is our shadow. And what happens when we turn our back to the light of God? All we see is the shadow of our own higher self, with which we will never ever be satisfied. And so if we, how do we do this? Master said in that little passage, meditate on the light. And so if in our meditation, do your techniques, concentrate, practice devotion, but then just this little Mukunda sitting on his bed, try to see God as light. Try to say, Ishwara, I want to be one with you. And in that process, little by little, the light of God shines more and more perfectly through us. There was a beautiful story of a saint in India who had found God. He was a humble, wandering sadhu. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I will grant you any wish you want. Do you want to heal others? Do you want power? Do you want to... And he said, Lord, I don't want anything but this. Grant me this. Wherever I walk in this world, wherever I pass and where the shadow of my body falls, if there was a person there who needs healing, let them be healed, but let me never know. And so what a beautiful thing to walk in this world just sharing light because all that's left within our being is God's light. And then that redemption has found fulfillment. And we have said, Lord, I am complete now. I have fulfilled the task that you have given me. And I know that I am only your child dwelling in the light. <laughs>